What's happening? It's great to be able to come and preach the Word of God to you today. We've been in this series called Steadfast Love, uh, beginning with the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet uh, who wrote down lots of what God was saying to him for the people of Israel. And we've seen the last couple of weeks that at times it's been, been sobering um, and pretty serious. And in fact, as we read chapters 4 and 5 today, we're met with another sobering message from the prophet Hosea to the people of Israel. You see, the, the severity, the seriousness of Israel's spiritual condition um, in this period has got nothing to do with really their political uh, things or financial things or military things. It's all to do with the fact that they as a people had turned their back on God. The illustration, the metaphor that's been used is they've been like an adulterous wife. They have broken their covenant relationship with God. They've turned to other things, to other gods, to other idols to get there, to be the center point of their lives. They've stopped seeking out God to be the thing that brings them the fullness of life and they've sought out other things. And what we've seen and what we'll continue to see is that when that happens, there is serious ramifications. There are consequences for people that, that choose to do that. There was consequences that, that impacted them hugely. And you'll see that the dangers of it, the dangers of, of their uh, unfaithfulness, serving other idols, other gods, you'll see that those are the same dangers uh, that face us today. And so th this message today is called the danger of idolatry. And we're going to uh, see that, that theme come up again as we read together. So we're going to dive straight in. We're going to read Hosea 4 and 5. These are long chapters. Um, but we thought, in fact, it'd be great if we could read through the whole book, even though we might not look at every verse, although I would enjoy doing that. We will just, uh, so I'm going to read from chapter four uh, and we'll finish at the end of chapter five together. So, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. They were swearing, lying, murder, stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you've rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you've forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I'll change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They're greedy for their iniquity and it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they've forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine and new wine, which take away understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they've left their God to play the whore. 
They sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore nor the brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And the people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Bethlehem, nor swear as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in broad pastures? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame, and wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you, for you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me, for now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him, for he is withdrawn from them. They've dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they've borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them and their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Bethlehem. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I, am, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I'm like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, and Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress, earnestly seek me. This is the word of the Lord. Now I'm not gonna go verse by verse through those two chapters, it, it would be a long time, but we'll kind of overview, look at some of the things that come out of this passage. But what we see right at the very, very beginning of chapter four is God is setting out, I've got a problem with Israel. Right, there is a, I've got a problem. He says, verses one and two, the inhabitants of the land, the Lord has a controversy with them. And he tells you why. The reason is because there's no steadfast love. There's no faithfulness. There's no knowledge of God. And instead of those things, you get stealing and swearing, that's not like the language swearing, is making oaths, swearing oaths to other things. There's murder and adultery and all of these things that essentially God's law and his covenant has been broken. They have forsaken him, they've moved away from the things of God and they're serving and doing other things. They've broken their covenant 
and God is making it clear. I have a problem with Israel when they do that. They've served other things. And in fact, he, he says it here in verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they've left God to play the whore. God, if you like, is a, is a faithful husband. That's what we get this image again. He's a faithful husband and Israel continually is, a, is, a, is like a spouse who continually commits adultery. She's an unfaithful wife. And this happens time and time and time again. God is, is, is like a spouse who knows what it means for someone to commit adultery, but to only come back and say, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. They, they meant nothing to me. Yeah. You're the person that I really love. I want to be with you. I promise to, to never do that again, only for it to happen again and again and again, which is horrific and painful. And, and here you're seeing uh, God's issue and he's contentious with you saying, I've got an issue with you. You keep running off, you're being unfaithful. They're giving themselves to, to pagan rituals. Verse 13, it says, they sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak and poplar because the shade is good. In, in, in many ways, that was, it was a very pagan ritual to do that, to try and go up to, to high places. In fact, I'll, I'll read you another passage from Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah 3, where you get something similar, where it says, you know, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. In those days, to go up, to, you would try to go as high as you could to get as close as you could to the gods. So they went up to mountains and, and, and hilltops. And he's saying, that's what they're doing. You can be seen on every hilltop trying to worship these, these pagan gods. As we heard last week, these fertility gods of Baal that, that they believed would be a great way, are gods that they think would give them military power or prowess or, 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 or ornaments and statues that would be worshipped. This is what the people of, of, of Israel kept doing. They kept going back and back and back and, and, and breaking their covenant relationship with God. And it kind of draws us to think, you know, they kept serving idols. So I just want to talk for a moment about well, what, when it comes to idol worship, you know, in, in our current day, because most of us, I can imagine, I don't think on the weekend many of you are going to think, let me get up to Durham Hill or Blyville or Shooters Hill. Let me try and get up to the walls of gods. We're not going out into our gardens and sheds with wooden ornaments that you've, you've knocked up and thought, let me bow down and worship this. Maybe this will help us with fertility. Maybe this will help us with money. Maybe this will help us with that. We, and so we could be quite easy to look on a passage like this and think, wow, they were uncivilized, backward people. We're learned, you know, we're civilized now. We've the enlightenment we've got understanding we'll be but we'd be foolish to think that there's not idols that exist today an idol is 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 simply you know the fact is this we were all made to worship all of us whoever you are you're, you're made to worship and if you don't worship god you, you simply just worship something else and that can be seen. I say the clearest place to do it is, is, is on a Saturday afternoon in football stadiums around the country. Thousands of men worshipping their team and their whole week, their, their kind of emotional well-being and their emotional check is, is basically determined on how well their team did, how well 11 men did kicking the football around the pitch. Now, I love football as much as the next man, but when, when someone's kind of uh, whole orientation is destroyed because of watching a game of football, you, you know it's an idol that they're serving, right? 
And, and, and so we would be naive to think that, that, that there's not idols today. Anything that basically is the center point of your life, the thing that you orientate around, the thing that takes your devotion and your attention and, and the thing that means most to you, the thing that is at the center point of your life, that your life orientates around. When there's things like that in their lives, then it's an idol. Things that draw us away from God. And so I could give some examples. Big, you know, big one, I always say this, if we're playing family fortunes, number one on the list has got to be money, right? Because for the majority of people, money is just a huge idol. Their, their life orientates around the purpose of, I want to do as well as I can to get as better job as I can, to make as much money as I can. And they never have enough money. They always want more. And a whole kind of, lots of our decisions and the way that we live our life operates around finance. There's a, obviously a saying that goes, you know, show someone your bank, uh, your bank statement and they'll show you what you worship. What you spend your money on, what you put your resources into is an indication of where your heart really is, of, of what you really, really care about. And also even money itself, people just spend time thinking about it, kind of gripped by it. And that's why there's so much warnings in the scriptures about money. You cannot serve God in money. Money is the root of evil. And so there's, there's money, there's, we could talk about sex and relationships, how people want to say, you know what, I will, I'll serve God, I want to be a Christian, I, I kind of err of my life, but uh, even though I know it's contrary to God's word, even though I know that sex is for covenant marriage, I'm still going to have sex when I'm not married. I'm just going to, uh, that's just one area of my life that I can't kind of surrender to God. Anything else I can't do, I'll come to church, I'll get to group, I'll do this. But that relationship, that sexual activity, I just can't, that's, that's, I'm not prepared to stop doing that. And that's an idol in your life. Even linked with that, we could talk about pornography. The habit of, 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 of again, life being orientated around, even though we know that it's contrary to what God wants for us, he's best for us. Been there myself. And so you think, wow, there's, there's, there's things that, that, that if we're not careful, these can become the things that we, 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 we can build upon. I could talk about power. In many ways, have played out for a lot of people through their career, wanting to just achieve and do as well as they can. Sometimes forgetting what uh, things they're doing to get there, whether they're kind of, you know, uh, questionable integrity, not being nice or kind to others maybe being a little bit deceitful, whatever it takes to get the job, whatever it takes to get that promotion, whatever it takes to get your work done, taking credit that doesn't belong to you, uh, putting others down so that you're elevated, doing things that are not pleasing in the sight of God, but they're going to elevate you because you'll get higher and you'll get more power. When, you, when you're kind of forsaking your family and friends, uh, you know, neglecting family and friends, all for career, it's an idol. Oh, it's the other entertainment I could talk about. The, the need that we just must be stimulated all the time and Netflix and YouTube and smartphones and, and, and social media, all these things that take our attention. And so sometimes I'll meet with people and it's like, oh, I don't have time to read the Bible or to pray or to fellowship with other believers. I don't have time to help out in church or to, to get involved with this group or to do that. But I have time for hours, literally hours, staring at phones and screens and laptops and iPads to be entertained. Things that have taken our, our, our devotion and attention away from God. Now let me say this, all of those things, I mean, except for pornography, all of those other things that I've listed, there's nothing wrong with those things when they're done in the right way. But when they become the, the center of our lives, when they become the thing that draw our attention and our affection and our desires, 
then you know that there's an issue. Then you know that, in fact, they've drawn us away just like they've done with the people in this book. Because God is after faithfulness. God is after wholehearted devotion to follow him, for him to be the centre of our lives, for our life to orientate around him and the purposes of God. And sometimes there's things in our lives, there's, there's areas in our lives where we choose to say, you know what, and this is what happened to the people of Israel. I want to express my faith in the way that I want to express it. I always say sometimes we, we treat Christianity, I don't know, uh, like, like a buffet lunch. I, like, I mean, I love a buffet restaurant, by the way. You've got real tactics when you go there. Do not waste your time with chips, rice, carbs, those sorts of things. You get them indoors for free and they're so cheap, just straight on the meat. Just plates and plates and plates of meat. Load up at a buffet. But some of us will want to treat Christianity like a buffet, almost, I'll take a bit of this, I'll take a bit of that, I'll leave that. I'm not bothering with that. Rather than seeing, in fact, the, the word of God, his instructions, like a set menu. You, you don't pick and choose. You don't say, yeah, oh, oh, that area of my life I'm not going to give, but that area I will. Now, God says, I want all of it. I want your, your wholehearted devotion. That's what he wanted for the people of Israel. They weren't giving it. This is what he wants for us. Because although, friends, we're, under, we're not under law, we're under grace, and we have free choices to make, but the fact of the matter is some of the choices that we're making, some of the habits that people are, carrying, are holding on to are just flat out acts of rebellion to God and they need to be repented of. And we must acknowledge that. And we must say, no, Lord, I want to serve you and wholeheartedly be devoted to you because when we don't, what we see in this passage is the consequences of that. The consequences of a heart that doesn't want God to be at the centre, the consequences of nations that do the same. And I just want to draw out two consequences that we see in this passage. One that's predominantly in chapter 4 and the other one in chapter 5, but they weave throughout. One of those is the, the consequence of idolatry, the danger of idolatry is corrupt leadership. You see this lots and he says it in, in verse 4. Let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priests. You stumble by day, the prophet shall stumble with you by night. I'll destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you've forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The priests in Israel were not doing their job. Their job was to lead, care, protect, nourish, shepherd the people of God, to serve them, to give them the knowledge of God, lead them into the holiness of God. But instead, they were doing the act opposite. They were leading them astray. They, were, they themselves had become corrupt. And as a result, the people are suffering. There was a leadership crisis in Israel. And I mean, we can relate. It doesn't take, there is a leadership crisis, both in and outside the church, everywhere you look. The sad, it's a sad reality that you don't have to look very far these days to, even, to find a leadership crisis within the church, to find leaders that have been corrupt in this nation and other nations. And the reality is the reason that's happened is because in the end, in their hearts, they've allowed idols, maybe money, maybe sex, maybe power, maybe other things to draw their attention away from God, that their integrity has been questioned, their honesty has been, been questioned, and they've, they've begun to be drawn to other things. And that when that happens, the people suffer. In fact, maybe one of the most famous verses from Hosea is, is that one where it says, you know, for people perish, people perish for lack of knowledge. People are destroyed, it says, this version, for lack of knowledge. 
the job of, of, of the priest is to give people knowledge of God. In fact, if you watch the coronation uh, just recently, I did. One of my favorite parts was when the prime minister uh, read from the book of Colossians. Uh, he did a Bible reading and I was really fascinated to see what, what, what passage would they choose. And they chose Colossians 1. And in Colossians 1, it, it actually says Paul is praying for the church in Colossae and he actually prays. He says this, he says, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I pray that when people have knowledge of God, it helps them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so a priest's job was to help people to have knowledge of the Lord, that they would walk in a manner worthy. And they're perishing, they're, they're, they're being destroyed because they do not have knowledge of the Lord. And so they're walking in a way that is completely unworthy of him. And they've been unfaithful. And, and God is holding the leaders, the priests accountable. They're responsible. Because, because the people have been led astray. He also then, and he says this kind of brilliant um, verse where he, you know, in many ways says, like people, like priests, when you kind of read uh, through verse seven, it says, the more they increased, the more they sinned. They feed on the sin of my people, verse eight, and they're greedy for their iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests. What he's saying there is when he says they feed on their sin, they, were, they would have brought sacrifices to the God of Baal and other things that would have involved food. And the priests are literally accepting those sacrifices and feeding on it. And, and so leading them astray. And so in, in like priests, like people, it's where we get maybe the phrase like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. It's like in the end, people will become like their priests. And if their priests are corrupt and led astray, then they themselves will be led astray. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. And so they've, been, they've become this pleasure-loving Israel, a pleasure-loving nation that have been swept up in, in the love of wine. It talks about here the love of, of, of sex and promiscuity and the love of serving other gods and other things. And that's become the, the spirit of the age. They've become promiscuous. Just a side note in verse 14, I love it because he, he, he says that even the daughters, he says that the daughters, the women are being promiscuous, but I love this. He says, I will not punish the daughters. Instead, he says, he holds the men responsible. Now that's countercultural because in our day, what you get is a lot of men who don't want to take responsibility and will try to blame, oh, the reason I fell into sin is because the woman was dressed that way or because she was started to flirt with me at a bar or this and that. In our culture today, in fact, it's flipped onto women. In, uh, God says, in fact, I'm not going to punish the women even though they did this, even though they slipped into, some of them even into prostitution or adultery. In fact, it's the men that I'm going to hold responsible because they're the ones who engage in the acts as well. And so all of it, he's saying, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's responsibility and there's a spirit of the age that's come this promiscuous, sort of this promiscuous, idolatrous culture and I'm holding, and, and I'm holding the leaders responsible, also the people. And so that's the first threat of idolatry that we get, this corrupted leadership. And then the second thing you, know, you read in verse 11, chapter 5, is that it, it brings God's judgment. It says this, Ephraim, that's just another word for Israel, is oppressed and crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. Israel has, has, has made choices to go after that. You know, when I was a, about 15, I was so grateful. I got an older brother, uh, five, six years older than me, uh, six years older than me, who would... Um, 
who basically had, had, had got himself together in terms of walking with God and he said, you know what, I'm going to have to get alongside my brother and kick him into shape. And so he did. And one of the things he said to me when I was younger is, is a phrase that I then put on my bedroom wall and I wrote it down. Remember when you were in school, though still in school, you got like the diary planners. I remember the start of the year, you get a new diary. It was like, this was the thing you carried around. I remember writing it at the very top of it. And it was simply this, choices, decisions, consequences. So much of... Of, of, of what we do as believers in terms of following God and staying away from idols comes just down to the daily choices that we make. Sometimes choosing not to uh, stay up late at night and watch, that, and watch TV because you know that you're more liable to temptation. Choosing to not text and interact with that certain person because you know that's not going to be good for you. Choosing not to go to this place or with those people or whatever it is, daily choices that we make to serve God. Because the choices, we get choices all around us every day and we have decisions to make. And depending on the decision that we make, there's consequences, good or bad. And for Israel here, they chose to, to, to be drawn to filth. And because of it, they're going to be crushed in judgment out of love. We heard that last week. This, I won't go over that, but this idea that, that God's judgment actually comes from a place of love because, because God is just and perfect and holy in many ways, and in all ways, and he can't allow these things to go unpunished. But also he knows that, uh, that inside us is a, is a sin and an evil that needs to be taken out. And one of the ways that he does that is judgment. And the, the way that judgment will look for the people of Israel, in this case, is separation from God. It says in verse 5, it's chapter 5, verse 4, sorry. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God for a spirit of whoredom is within them. And then he goes on in verse 6. He says, with their flocks, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. God is saying that his divine presence and protection is not going to be with them anymore because they've been unfaithful to him. And he goes on talking about this, this judgment. Verse 10, you know, he says that upon them, I will pour out my wrath like water. This is flood language from the, uh, you know, knowing the flood. It shows the anger of God. He's kind of referring back to that. I'm going to pour it out like a flood. Verse 14, he goes even further. Like a young lion to the house of Judah, I will tear away and carry off and no one will rescue. He is, he is showing his, his anger and his frustration is going to be poured out. And all of this coincides basically a time for Israel where there's going to be invasion, where there's going to be uh, military kind of um, strife and difficulty. Uh, the, the houses of Israel and Judah are going to have strife and God's divine judgment is going to come on them and it's going to look like wars and invasion and bloodshed and, and infliction of illness and disease and pain and difficulty. And all of it is a result and a consequence of the unfaithfulness of God's people to Yahweh. This all sounds pretty bleak. <laughs> and so I want us to, uh, hopefully some good news is that, so that we see there's a corruption of leadership and there's judgment that comes. But what I'm hoping to show us is, is well, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? And, and we'll see that we get, although these are pretty sobering verses, we get this one glimmer of hope in verse 15 where it says this, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. God is saying that he's going to return to his place because when God comes out to judge, it's almost, that's not, that's not his instinct. His instinct is to show love and to show mercy. 
In fact, again, another passage you get in, in Isaiah 26, uh, you know, it says this, 21, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. It's almost like God comes outside of, of his usual place to do judgment, although his instinct is to show grace and mercy. But he says, I come out of my place and I'm doing that until what? Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. To acknowledge their guilt, we've spoke about this the last couple of weeks, to, to examine yourself, to confess, to repent, to look at the face of the idols you've been bowing down to, the other things you've been serving, to look it in the face and acknowledge it and repent of it and turn away from it, to confess it to God and then to seek his face. That's what he's after, a people that will seek him. And when we seek God, it's never too late. But the only issue is that that's not, that's not enough for the people of Israel because they keep doing this again and again and again. Not only do we need to repent and seek his face, in fact, we need something more. What we need really is a priest, a priest who will not lead us astray and into the depths in the way that the priest of Israel did. We need a priest who will do the very opposite. In fact, that's what, when Hosea says, uh, like people like priest, we need a priest who uh, rather will do the very opposite. And Jesus Christ, our great high priest, doesn't lead us astray. He's not corruptible, he's, he's, he's uncorruptible. He's not gonna lead us astray or away from God. In fact, he does the very opposite. He leads us to God and reconciles us to him by the blood of the cross. He's the great high priest who, who's in the end, people become like their priests. Well, the Bible says that we become like Christ. Because we have this great high priest, it says, who is unable to do, who's able to do the things that the other priests were unable to do, who's able to lead and live and serve in a way that those priests were unable to. Because we have Jesus Christ, it changes everything. And in fact, let me just read to you as I finish. Hebrews 7 says this. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. Friends, the Bible says that because of Jesus Christ, because we are in him, we have a high priest. That means that who's, who's, who's made us spotless and perfect and blameless, we become like that priest. But when God sees us, he, when we repent and follow him, we, he doesn't see our mess and our sin and our judgment, but he sees uh, Christ in all of his perfection. And the Bible says that because we have this great high priest, that today, we, when we approach the throne of God in repentance, we approach a throne of confidence with confidence because it's not a throne of wagging fingers and judgment, but it's a throne of grace, ready to receive us again because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I plead with you today, as you stare at your sin or your idols in the face, you repent of them, turn away from them. But as we do so, we approach the throne of grace. We, we come and we enjoy his body and his blood that was shed for us. And we receive again the grace and mercy that is as in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>